You're listening to episode 33 of the Strength for All podcast with me, Johnny Reps Fitness. Today I have a very special guest. Not that any of my guests are not special, but this is Susan Niebergal. Susan is 60 years young and she is a fitness coach who actually got into this profession after she retired. Susan works with Jordan Syatt as a coach in his inner circle, and she just has a ton of great info and a ton of great knowledge to drop today. If you're looking for a podcast to send to your parents, yes, right, I'm looking at you, Mom. You should be listening to this episode. This is the one. Do it. I'll be waiting right here. So if you like this podcast, make sure to give me a big-ass positive review on whatever platform you're listening to on it, and follow me on Instagram as well as Susan. You're ready for anything, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, Susan, we're, I don't know, we started the podcast, we're going. I have Let's go. Uh, question one. <laughs> we're going structured, but not structured. This is actually not really a question. It is, it is a question, but it's not a question. On September 28, 2008, um, you wrote an article that was on Pop Sugar Fitness entitled, Do These Six Things to Prevent, from weekend, to prevent Weekends from Sabotaging Your Fat Loss Goals. How did you get to write this article for this website, and do you still agree with this, the number six items you put on here, which I can list for you if you like? You need to list them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> number, <laughs> no, we'll start with the first part. What, how did you get to writing this article? It was just something that I put – you know, it's like what we talk about in the mentorship and everything, just writing articles, putting on your website, right? That's kind of what that was, um, is just starting that kind of thing. But but you're saying it was when, 2000 what? It was September 28th, 2018, and it was an article on Pop Sugar Eight. Fitness, which I know okay, is a yeah, really yeah. big I, website. For, for a second, I thought you said 2008, and I'm like, no, 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 no. no. Okay, um, 2018, yes. It was just a blog post that I wrote for my own website, right? Just an article. And um, they picked it up. How they picked it up, I have no idea. But I just remember when they did, I saw this big surge in like following. Right. And, and then I said, something's happening. I don't know. I mean, I didn't know. I had no idea until somebody it might have even been Jordan. Somebody pointed out that, yeah, Pop Sugar Fitness picked up your 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 stuff. And since then, they've picked up several things that I've done over over the time. So, and I, I don't I, I think they may search keywords. You know, I don't know how they found that in particular. But so yeah. they so they people do. I didn't even know they do that. Like, they'll just take your stuff without asking you and post it. Uh, yeah, but, but I mean, they give you full credit, you know, yeah, obviously, of course, they of course. give you full credit. Um, and, and I remember noticing this big swell in followers and I'm like, what is going on with this? I had no idea, you know? And so another TV, sh I had a TV show pick me up for, um, they saw one of my weight loss transformation pictures and they reached out to me cause they searched a hashtag I happened to use and they found me and they, they actually contacted me though, because I had to sign over the rights for them to use my image on their show, which they did, and I did, and it was all, it was cool, got a little surge from that. So, you know, it's all about the hashtags, which I really don't get that much of anyway. It's not something I've been focused on, like I need the correct hashtags. I was just hashtagging things that made sense. And someone <laughs> and found people, it. Yeah, and people find it. You, and, you know, and someone told me a long time ago, you never know. You just never know who's gonna randomly one day find that, like Pop Sugar. And so since then, um, the, there, there's somebody at Pop Sugar I became kind of uh, friends with, and so she randomly now will pick out some of my stuff and put on there. That's pretty tremendous. Yeah, I, it's cool. And for those who don't know, which is literally most likely everyone listening to this podcast, Susan, well, she mentioned the mentorship. Susan and I are both, well, you kind of help Jordan with it, yeah. right? And I am a participant in an, an online fitness business mentorship run by Jordan Syatt primarily and Mike, that other guy. <laughs> yeah, Mike, that other guy. The other guy. So let me. So the second part of this question, uh, Susan, do you the the six things you listed, and I, I think most of them sound pretty good. So I wouldn't see how, why you would disagree with them. The first one says, "Don't be so restrictive during the week." Uh, again, the title of the article was "Do these six things to prevent the weekends from sabotaging your fat loss goals." The first one was "Don't be so restrictive during the week." The second one, which seems kind of the opposite of the first one, says "Bank calories during the week." The third one says "Fuel up before you go out." Fourth one is "Drink water with your alcohol." Fifth one is uh, "Eat which well, drink water with your alcohol." That means you're supposed to drink uh, Bud Light because it's watered down. Two-fisted drinker. <laughs> yeah. The fifth one says, uh, eat light during the day. And the sixth one says, get right back on track. Yeah. I mean, all that. And in and, and regards to, to the one versus the other, 
being too restrictive during the week, yeah, that's what sends people off on the weekends, right? You you overly restrict during the week. You don't allow yourself a either enough calories or you don't allow yourself any other foods other than chicken and broccoli and lettuce or something like that. You know, so you're overly restrictive from two points of view. But then the other one with banking calories, that doesn't mean to be overly restrictive and then just save them for the weekend. It means strategically saying have some higher days, some lower days. So you do have a little bit more just calories to use for a weekend so so that you could try to plan your weekends a little bit better. It just doesn't mean anything extreme. Yeah. And beautiful. <laughs> Beautifully put. My my podcast has a little uh, strange flow compared to others. I, I, I like it. I have a question that's actually totally unrelated now. Does does your son play tuba? Yes. <laughs> he does. How did you know? Did well, you look it up? Well, I actually scrolled back through many of your Instagram posts. I'm very oh yeah, he's there. That's yeah. my that's my that's my strategy. Um, does he does he play any other instruments? And are you? It seems like your whole family is kind of musically inclined. We are, yeah. So he's a tuba player. That's pretty much his from a music standpoint. He just graduated with a music industry degree. So music business. He's really interested in the copyright side. Um, the legal kind of side and the audio side um, and that particular part, there ain't a lot of happening right now in the music industry, you know, for a young guy right out of college coming out trying to get hooked up into a theater or something where he could, you know, kind of learn or learn more and put, put uh, into practice what he has learned um, because there's not a lot of that happening right now because of the pandemic. But he's also interested in copyright, music copyright issues and things like that, and copyright law in general. So um, that's an avenue he's starting to pursue now. So you tell me that I need you to sign a, uh, like a, a non-compete clause or a disclosure waiver to appear on my podcast. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. This is your sideways <laughs> no. way of saying that? <laughs> no. So you're not no. saying that. Okay, perfect. I have it, in, I have it on audio. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's all good. Excellent. I actually, I, only, I think I've only known, I've known a couple people who have audio degrees, but one guy I used to work with, his name was Corey Thrash. Great last name to work at a music store, yeah. <laughs> Thrash, right? But he yeah. he was like the best like audio equipment salesperson we ever saw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having like an, an audio degree. He, uh, yeah. But anyway, number three, uh, or I, I next topic. Very very in depth question here. This is also from 2018. On July 10th, 2018, you were on the Finding Your Strength podcast. On this podcast, you talk about being attached to certain ideas like people thinking they can't eat pizza and lose weight or they have to do a lot of cardio and lose weight. And it's a really difficult concept for people to kind of wrap their head around that they can, they don't have to do these things in order to create progress if they have them kind of stuck in their mind from past experiences or whatever. Um, I've seen myself that many people get really discouraged from things like this and they don't really stick to a diet or training because they think they have to stick to these unrealistic standards. Can you talk a little bit about this topic? Yeah, I, I was literally on a consult call with um, somebody my age, actually, um, a couple hours ago. And we were having a conversation about this. And one thing I was telling her, and I, I say this all the time, is that especially people in my age bracket, our generation, we were brought up with certain beliefs. And one of them, I mean, I guess there are a bunch of them, but one of them in particular was there's foods either good or bad. Right, there's good food and there's bad food. Um, good food would be vegetables, obviously, fruit, obviously, you know, lean protein. The thing, yeah, the quote. No, no, good, I thought right? fruit was bad. Uh, well, we, we, that that would be better than a piece of cake or pizza or a donut or something like that. There was that underlying, you know, sugar and fruit. That was a phase, and I don't remember what part of my life that phase was in. And it, I guess it still exists to some degree now, but. Um, when you're brought up that way, changing 50 years of a belief doesn't happen by snapping your fingers, right? It's not something that you're going to walk into a room, turn on the switch, and boom, it's changed. It doesn't work that way. I fight this all the time. I, I still have these voices in the back of my head that want to tell me, you know what, don't, don't eat it. It's, it's a bad food. That's bad. It's going to make you fat, da, 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 all those things. And it, it's not like it, it's okay to not have those voices go away, but it's not okay to let those voices determine what you should be doing. And that's where you have a conversation with yourself and you just tell yourself to shut the hell up. It basically is what I do all the time. And, and, I, and I feel like this is what happens with middle-aged people. That and the scale are two biggies that we were brought up 
with a black or white view. It's either if the scale goes up, it's bad. If it goes down, it's good. There was no talk of fluctuations. There was no talk of why it might randomly spike for no apparent reason or why you have a whoosh for no apparent reason. It was just up is bad, down is good. And, and so every time you step on the scale and it goes up, when you've been perfect with your nutrition for three days and it spikes up, you know, you have to understand what that's about. <laughs> it's not about your three days of perfect nutrition. It's about you probably holding on to some water. Maybe you had saltier foods. Maybe you lifted super heavy. Your body's retaining water. It will kind of flush out. But I didn't grow up learning that. I would have grown up thinking, okay, I put on fat. What the heck? How does that happen? You know, now I need to overly reduce my calories to make up for it. Speaking of articles, that's actually my most recent article on my website is about exactly what you just said, like what mm -hmm. causes weight changes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's been highly reviewed by some people. And then other people have just said nothing. So I'm assuming they loved it so much they were speechless. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a topic that um, a lot of people don't understand, and they allow their emotions to now drive their car. You know, So like if the scale goes up, you're pissed, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're defeated, you're whatever, all these negative emotions. And then you're letting those emotions determine where you go next. Well, and that's the part that's not okay. It's okay to feel them because, I mean, name one person on the planet who loves to see the scale go up. I mean, there, there isn't anyone who loves that. Unless you're bulking. So it's okay. it's okay to feel that way, right? It's okay. But it's not okay to let those feelings now dictate what you do. And that's where people fall into a big problem. A lot, a lot of times I try and use the analogy of, of like, it, it's similar to how, like, if you would obsessively watch the stock market and, like, every time your stock goes down a buck, you just sell it. You're yeah. going to lose all your money, like, if you, if you do that, right? Like, it's the same thing if you do that with, yeah. with tr training or fitness or weight loss. If every time the scale moves in the direction you don't like, you decide to change a bunch of things, you're never going to get anywhere because you're not yeah. doing anything consistently. Right. And I love that analogy as much as any of them because I think it's very applicable. I use it all the time as well. I just think... Um, it's a, it's a long-term investment and, and you can't compare like stocks. You can't watch your day to day. You know, if you watch your day to day on stocks, you'll, you'll go batshit crazy. And, right? Unless you're like a day trader, just like, unless you're like someone who's like a bodybuilder where their entire career is focused on that, then maybe you can do that. Right. But it's like 99.9% .9 of people. Nah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and someone like the bodybuilder, their, their nutrition is going to be handled a whole lot different than the typical person who wants to lose fat. You know, I mean, they, they've got every macro dialed into the nth little tiniest little degree, um, whereas the person that wants to lose fat doesn't have to do it that way. Right. Um, and for that person watching your weight and comparing Monday to Tuesday or Tuesday to Wednesday or Thursday or something like that will drive you insane because you will have changes that make no sense based on what you did 24 hours before. And then you're going to start trying to equ equate, well, what I did on Tuesday wasn't good enough, right? Because the scale went up. I must have done something bad. And that's not the case. And he here's the funny part. When the scale goes up, we automatically think fat, right? I must have gained fat. I, I, I must have gained fat overnight. That's what our first go-to is, right, when the scale goes up. But yet, if we lose weight, we, we, we tell ourselves, God, this takes so long to lose weight. It takes so long, you know? It takes so long to go one way, but boy, it'll come on like this. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense. And we let ourselves fall into that trap all the time. It absolutely doesn't. And, and I mean, it it's kind of takes like the same amount of time going in either direction, right? If you If it took you like you know, 10 years to gain this much weight, it's not going to take you like 10 weeks to lose all of it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But we let the emotions get in the way of logic. Like that's logical. It makes sense. But when we let our emotions take over, all logic goes out the window, right? And we just let the emotions drive that car. And that's, that's kind of a dangerous place to be because it, it will, it will cause some extreme behaviors and it will cause you to spin your wheels forever, you know, if you continuously allow that to happen. For sure. I'm going to jump all the way in a different direction. Before you were, before you were a fitness professional, mm -hmm. you were a band counselor, band counselor, you were a middle school counselor and a band director. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Now, in either of those positions, did you ever have a kid that you like, you just couldn't stand him, but you can't like do anything about it because you know, they're a kid. <laughs> Any of those I mean, instances? 
as a counselor, yeah, I mean, as, as a teacher, you always have kids that hassle you or give you a hard time or whatever. So yeah, there a lot of those coming through. Um, and, and then, especially when you teach an elective and the counseling staff will, <laughs> will just plot people in your class randomly because they have nowhere else to put them. Yeah. Um, those are the ones that, and they don't want to be there. Um, they're problem kids, sure. Um, and as a counselor, you know, it's interesting as a counselor, I didn't have many kids that I didn't like because my role was so different. I was the person they came, they came to me. They came to me for help, either with classes, with a social problem and with middle school kids and girls, especially it was mostly social problems, right? You know, um, and, or maybe family problems or something even more serious. So I don't remember like out of all the years I was a counselor, I can't think of one kid that comes up to my brain right now that I couldn't stand. I had difficult kids without a doubt. And I, I found that for me taking the time to break through their, their wall because they came into my office with a chip on their shoulder and they were angry kids about a lot of their circumstances. You break that wall down and there's some cool kids in there. You know, um, they are cool. And I absolutely adored them um, and adored helping them, you know? So the counseling role was a, a lot different than being in, being a teacher and especially for a kid who didn't want to be in your class, you know, that, that was a tough place to be. You have to find a way to try to reach that kid too. Do you, do you think that kind of helped you transition into being a fitness coach? hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that, you know, th throughout all these years, I have, you know, I've been a gym rat and I've liked being in the gym and my passion for that you know, paired up with my desire to help people and my ability to speak with people and, and work with people. That was a great marriage. You know, it, it was so many new newly certified trainers not only had to wor work on the mechanics and, and the exercises and the muscles, blah, 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 all those things. But they also had to learn to talk to people and they also had to learn to listen. And they also had to learn how to validate and make that make that client feel like you're listening, you hear and that you understand. I already knew how to do that. That part was second nature to me. And, and honestly, I use it every single day to this day. I use it, you know, and so, yeah, it helped me in more ways as, as a coach from a teach. I can teach. I know how to modify. I know how to um, teach somebody how to do something, not to show them, but I know how to teach them how to do it, um, to break things down sequentially, all that kind of stuff. And then I know how to make them feel like they're appreciated and then somebody, you know, is listening and caring, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a great marriage, the two occupations. <laughs> so, so speaking of your transition into being a fitness coast, coast, Man, I'm doing great today. <laughs> Fitness coach, your first post on Instagram is from May 12, 2016. At least your first wow. post that is visible. I scrolled back through over 2,000 posts t to get here. Jesus. Yeah. This is something I love doing on my podcast, actually, if you've listened. I go to the person's first social media post I can find. I and, love that. And ask I them love about that. It. What was it? I don't even remember. What was it? So you, it's a picture of you goblet squatting a 45-pound dumbbell. I had to look at what okay. the weight was. And the caption says, working hard every damn day, hashtag Syat Fitness. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, that, and what year was that? 2000? 2016, May 12th, yeah. 2016. I had probably just started working with Jordan as my one-on-one -on -one coach. Yeah. I had hired him at a, a little earlier than that probably. Um, cause I thought I wanted a power lift and, um, that's why I brought him on. And actually I really, what I wanted to do, I didn't really, it, and this was subconscious. What I really wanted to do was get strong and lose some weight. But I thought I had my nutrition under control. Um, so I didn't really talk to him about nutrition coaching just at the time. He did both. And I just wanted uh, powerlifting programs. And so that's how we started. But we have evolved, you know, a million times over since then. Um, and powerlifting ended up not being what I wanted to do. I, I found that out pretty quickly. It was strength and building muscle. That was my goal from almost the get-go. It's funny because I ha hired myself a coach in like 2016 with similar things like power. I actually competed in powerlifting once in 2017 and again in the beginning of 2018. Nice. But, uh, yeah, I might, I might compete again, but honestly, it's not like a priority. I get like what you, like when I, when I did it, I was like, nah, <laughs> it's, it's not like a priority to do. It's something that I'm like, I, if, if I feel particularly motivated, I suppose I would, I will do it again. Or if, you know, pandemic right now up in Canada, like everything's still closed. So there's no competitions or anything like that. So it's kind of mm. tough, but do you, let me, I wanted to ask you about the post. Do you remember exactly what workout this post was or what gym you were training at and why you started? Uh, the gym. 
the gym is the one that I'm training at now because I haven't I haven't left gyms. That's still Crunch Fitness right over here behind my house. Um, the what workout that was? I have no idea. I have no it's probably idea. the first Jordan Syatt workout because I, I remember I created my I started my Instagram in. I don't even know when I started it, but I, I think one of the first things I wanted to do on my Instagram was I like I was like I'm just gonna make this kind of like an accountability page where I'm just gonna post like training footage on it, right? Like cause mm -hmm. when I hired my coach, I was like I'm just gonna, because uh, actually one of the things was back then I, it was only like five years ago, so it sounds weird to say back then, but back then there weren't as many ways to like easily send somebody like a video, right? Like I was. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't I, easy. I had to, like, do Dropbox was, like, the only other option. I was like, eh, that's kind of tedious. I was like, can I just upload it to Instagram? Because I was like, I have an Instagram. If I upload it to Instagram and just tag you in, in each post, can you critique it from there? And he's like, sure. So that's what we ended, oh. up, that's what we ended up doing. <laughs> I hadn't – I would not have – I remember when I first started working with Jordan, that was a big issue for me because I'm not tech savvy. I have no idea how yeah. to do any of that. Um, and um, I remember because I, I was that client. That would send him literally almost a video of every single thing I did. Um, and having to do that, I mean, you couldn't email them because the too files big. are too yeah, big. Yeah, too big, yep. Right. So that's when he said, well, go um, create a YouTube channel and just put them there and send me links. And I'm like, and yeah. I just said, oh, okay. And I'm like, how do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was. A, that's how my YouTube channel started. <laughs> nowadays, it's. And so, it's I didn't know, by the way, I didn't know early on to keep things unlisted or public or what I didn't had no idea any of that. All I knew was my, I knew how to get the link for that video. Now I have since gone back and probably made all those uh, unlisted or private and I've gotten rid of a lot of them, but um, I didn't know. So a lot of those videos were going out into the world and I had no idea. <laughs> I, I was just posting them and not caring. Like I would hashtag them up, and I would be like, uh, you know, I, I was I knew everybody was going to see them on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, but that's. Funny. I didn't know how any of that. Worked. It's it's funny how like now it's just so easy because even like I use Trainerize for clients. They can send me a video straight through there. I like you know mm -hmm. what people can send me at, on WhatsApp. You can send video. I don't think you could even send videos through Facebook Messenger if I remember correctly back then. Um, yeah, probably not. And I remember that. I think you can now, but you, you can now. And I think Instagram limited it to like a 10 second video if you were sending it to someone like over uh, Instagram Messenger. Instagram might have not even had a Messenger uh, platform back then. But it's just in the last five years, it's amazing how much online stuff has changed. Oh, it's uh, crazy, absolutely crazy. And um, for someone like me, it's intimidating as all get out. I mean, it's so intimidating um, because none of this is intuitive to me. None of it. <laughs> I, well, it's I, like a, everything I have to learn. Yeah, you're you're not alone there, Susan. Let me ask you this: What was the lowest body fat percentage you ever achieved? How can you be sure of what it was, and does it matter? The last part, it doesn't matter. I have no idea. I've never had my body fat percentage ever checked in my entire life, and I don't give a rat's ass. I get the, I get asked about body fat percentage all the time, and it's just like I have no idea. So <laughs> I have no idea. I, I don't care. I, do, I just find a body, to me, body fat percentage, unless you're in a, a really obese person and there's severe health consequences and your life could depend on it, aside from that person, I don't know why people even really care about chasing that number and trying to find an accurate way to measure that number. And, and just it's just... I, I don't know. I don't get why people are obsessed with it. Like I even don't know. even as a bodybuilder, like they care more about how your look than they do about your body fat percent. Like if, if it's like, oh, this guy's eight, like six percent, and this guy's five percent, but it's like the guy who's six percent looks better. It's like you're not gonna. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, it, it's it's just one of these numbers that people want to chase, and people are completely uh, surprised that I have not. I that I don't even know. I have no idea what my body percentage is, and I'd have people in the gym say. Oh man, you've got to be, you know, twelve percent. I don't know. Somewhere, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm. <laughs> this, 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 this question was actually, I, I, I surmised that your answer would be something like this. So this question was designed for people who take and put a lot of stock into measuring their body fat percentage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just not worth it, you know. It, it unless, like I said, unless there are health reasons why you really need to pay attention to that, then, then. You know, stop chasing that number because honestly, I feel like that number's a lot harder to find an accurate representation of than than stepping on a scale. I mean, it if you want to go into one of those laboratories and get all hooked up to all of this stuff and you know all that, 
okay, maybe even a DEXA scan. I mean, you know, that costs a hefty amount of money. And, and yeah, are those okay? Yeah, I mean, those are okay. But in, in all honesty, they're not 100% accurate either. So it's kind of like, why why chase this moving target? You know, I, I just, I'm, I don't understand the fascination with it uh, unless it is a badge of honor that people seem to want to wear um, for some reason, you know? And I think maybe that's part of it. Like I have 10% body fat, okay cool next <laughs> you know i mean <laughs> i don't know what to say to that i you know i i i want to say two things the first was that dexa scans actually because it depends with the number it spits out because i did a little bit of research on dexa scans i considered getting one myself at one point and then before i came to the conclusion of like why the hell would i care but the the number that it spits out is kind of dependent on what type of equation you put into it i guess like mm. you can you can have the exact same machine give you the exact same measurements and if you there's something about like if you change the settings or if you change the equation in there it cuz it, it even that is still kind of somewhat guesstimating it will give you like an entirely different number that's 3 4 5% different right yeah so the first thing that made me realize like body fat percentage means nothing is that like no measure of body fat percentage that you are getting is going to be accurate no matter even if it's a dexa scan it's not going to actually be accurate the only i heard the one quote i think it was from greg knuckles is the only true way to know your body fat percentage is to kill yourself gut yourself and then weigh the bot the fat that's the only true way to know your actual an body autopsy. fat percentage. Yeah. yeah it's an autopsy <laughs> yeah and you know what who cares then <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly and then the second thing i entirely oh if people ask me what my body fat percentage is, I usually say somewhere between zero and 100. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's a great answer. Uh, yeah. Between zero and, you know, whatever, 100 is great. Because I, if I... That's a great way to answer it. Yeah. Because everybody, everybody's there. Yeah. So you were, you were on, uh, I listened to the whole thing, you were on Jordan Sides podcast on February 2nd, like just a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. He and I record twice a month. Yeah. Right. But you were on that specific episode and... um he he actually a quick aside he's told me before that he would be on my podcast at least twice and just ghosted me both times but <laughs> you you talk on this podcast about um your struggles with uh, eating extremely clean in the past right yeah. and where it kind of seemed like the way you're describing it like borderline in like a disordered fashion i i would say um can you talk a little bit about your experiences with being too strict with your eating and then what would you say to someone who is kind of yo-yoing like you were in the past, who's, who's maybe having trouble or struggling with that or has struggled with that before? Well, I'll tell you, and I think I was borderline uh, eating disorder. Um, I didn't even think about that at the time. But w- what it was like for me was I would have kind of a small food bubble, I called it, of foods that I would eat. Um, and so that all was all well and good until you couldn't do that, like if you went out. Or, um, and that would cause a huge thing in the family. Like, okay, I have to pick where we go, where, where there's something I can eat. You know, it was always like that. The poor guys, my husband, my son, you know, they always let me pick. So there would be a place where I felt comfortable because I thought I needed to adhere to this being clean. This food had to be, you know, whole, anything with the word whole in front of it seemed to be good. Right. Oh, like a donut. Um, yeah, Don't right, whole. I um, <laughs> the whole pie. But I never allowed myself stuff like that because I thought, literally, I thought that if I ate that donut, that I would ruin everything, and I would eat. So I tried to keep into this food bubble. But this is how distorted it was. We went to a local restaurant here, a family-owned place that we go all the time, and they would have this quote healthy pasta dish, whole something something pasta grilled chicken, this pesto made out of blah, blah, blah. That was it, right? And I'm thinking, this is this is my jam. This is this is great. Fits into what I want to do. And I would eat the whole thing. And that was probably, oh, you know, 1,300 calories, my guess is, when all said and done. And had no concept of that, though. I only had the concept of, okay, this is grilled chicken, and this is whole grain pasta or whatever. Um, and so not no concept of calories whatsoever, really. And, and then I took it to an extreme. When I worked at the school, in the school counseling office, we would have birthday parties where we would, uh, in the office, where we would all take turns bringing in treats for another person's birthday. And we'd celebrate in the office kitchen and all that stuff. And I would go in there and celebrate with everybody, but I would hardly ever take a piece of cake or a cupcake or whatever it was that was brought in. I would always politely decline or um, or make up a reason like, oh, I'm so full, I can't eat it. Um, and everyone's like, oh, Susan, you're so disciplined. How do you do this? 
oh my gosh, I wish I could do that, you know? And that fueled the fire, right? That made me think like, this must be great. Like you're what you're getting like doing? all that confirmation bias. Yeah. <laughs> everybody must, everybody thinks I am like this superstar because I can, this must be exactly what I need to do. But what they didn't understand was at the time I was looking at them going, I want to be like you. Like I want to be able to enjoy that piece of cake over there, but I'm not letting myself do that. You know, and that was, um, that was, I didn't always realize that right in the moment. Um, sometimes I did. Um, but it was like an all-time low when I re- when I kind of turned down my own birthday cake. Um, someone brought in for me, and they give me a piece. I'm like, you know what? I am so full. You know, I made up all these excuses, blah 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 blah. I mean, how ridiculous! I mean, it just sounds ridiculous me even saying it. But that is a real thing. This whole clean eating thing is great from a health perspective. Of course, we all want to eat nutritious foods and all that kind of stuff. Of course, but it's not healthy to only do that. When something is healthy, healthy can be defined by eating those kinds of foods, but it also is defined by including foods that you love in a way that works for you, in your lifestyle, in your in your nutrition guidelines, whatever. That's what healthy is. Healthy is not excluding everything because you're afraid of it, because you think it's going to ruin everything. That's not healthy, you know, and so have to redefine that word. So it's an all-inclusive word and not just um, what we think of healthy foods with high nutrient values and all that kind of stuff. So if you had yourself from like maybe, well, how long ago do you think this this has kind of shifted in your mindset to how it's changed to where you're at now? I mean, when I started working with Jordan, so it's about six years ago when he and I first started working together, that's when things, that's when the shift in mindset started happening over the last six years. And, you know, it, I, I really feel like I'm still a work in progress with that. I mean, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'm nowhere in the extreme category anymore. And I, I've been living in maintenance now for years. I know how to do it, like, with my eyes closed. So I've come so far. And I can eat whatever I want to eat now. And I don't feel bad about it. Um, but But I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, you have to constantly practice. I have to sometimes remind myself, you're okay. You've got you go out and get whatever you want tonight. If you guys are going out for a special occasion or something, Susan, you go and have a good time. Have that glass of wine or two, whatever it is you want to do. Enjoy it. And then just hop back on track the next day. And that's all I have to do now. Where before I would have come downstairs after a nice dinner out or whatever and done a thousand crunches or something because I like I have to move. I feel so fat. You know, I would feel fat. Well, you know, no duh, you have food in your stomach. Wait, so you don't you don't do uh <laughs> What about like doing push-ups when you're drunk just to show off? Yeah. <laughs> not that. No. That's not. No. That. The, the drunk days were many, many, many years behind me. <laughs> Look at how many push-ups. Who wants to sit on my back? Yeah. Yeah. So but what would you say to yourself if you were like to go back 10 years and talk to yourself now? What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I would tell myself you don't have to be perfect. It's not about being perfect. That's not healthy. And I would, I would probably you know, take myself and go, look, you're not being healthy. Um, you're making really poor choices. You can't sustain this. And, and you're running on fear. So let's face the fear. And the fear was I was going to gain weight, you know, because I'd been fighting weight on and off my whole life. Um, and so that, that underlying fear was driving everything. And that's what I would want to confront in a, in a way more normal way than what I was doing. So if you're in like a healthy body fat percent, not percent, but if a healthy body weight, what is generally defined as a healthy body weight, which means your BMI is probably within a certain range and your waist circumference is probably within a certain range. I, I don't know. I always, When I have clients like that who are like, I want to lose weight, I'm like, why? I'm like, you know, when you're in that, you're not going to improve your health when you're in, in that number. I'm like, you can still build muscle and strength maintaining your weight. I mean, if you want to get leaner, that's that's doable. But if you're really struggling with this and it's like a source of anxiety or like a source of I'm like why why don't you gain weight like I've actually said that and you should see the look on people's faces when I say that sometimes when I say why I'm like well your BMI is like 22 and your waist is like this why don't you gain weight you're still well within the healthy range I I think because they're it's it's what they know what they think they know right they think that gaining weight means I'm going to be I'm going to be having this eating frenzy and I'm going to gain, I'm just going to plump out into this big Teletubby. You know, they don't understand that you can do things like this strategically with a purpose and slowly over the course of time. So you can change how you look body recomposition, which by the way, 
most people who are, I don't want to say most, but many people who are small, who say, I just have this last little bit of belly fat that I want to lose, that insist on, on beating a calorie deficit to death for this little bit of belly fat, those are the people that would benefit, I think, from going into maintenance, putting in some more calories on board, get more energy, fuel your workouts better, get a workout program that makes sense that you can build some muscle, and watch how you change how you look. That's super important because you you can beat that calorie deficit to death. You're going to have to really dial in the calories, probably lower them more than what you want, and you're going to have to increase your movement more than probably probably you want. And then you have to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth trying to do it this way? You know. And then the answer may be no. In which case, okay, let's add calories back in slowly, get you back into maintenance, and now let's pound some weight. Let's focus on athletic goals. Like, let's focus on increasing your push-ups. Let's focus on getting you that first chin-up. Let's focus on deadlifting your weight or whatever it is. Let's focus there and watch what happens with all the other stuff. And, and the one thing I would note for those people who you said is if we're talking about specifically from like an aesthetic look perspective, I have seen this personally myself and with other people is like, if you end up like gaining weight on purpose, like in a calorie surplus, and then you cut back down to that same weight that you previously were at, that you were like, oh man, I got this last little, you will end up having a better look from an aesthetic perspective if that's all you care about, right? Yeah. So not just from a health perspective, it's like even from an aesthetic perspective, you're severely hamstringing yourself by trying to, you know, if you're already really low there to try and cut even lower. And most people who do that, they end up at their end stage and they're like, wow, I'm just like kind of skinny and I don't really have like the muscle definition that I wanted to have. Yeah. You know, I went into a six month muscle building phase for the first time in my life about a year ago. And I, I planned it out with Jordan that I was going to, I aimed to gain a pound a month. And I did after six months, I was up six pounds. It was, it worked out perfectly. And I opted not to go into a cut. I looked at myself. I'm like, I like being filled out more. I like having a little more meat on my bones. I like the muscle, you know? Um, and so since then, naturally I've dropped out of the six, I've probably dropped two or three and I've just sat there now for, for almost a year and I feel better. I feel like I, I look different. I look at my pictures before and I look at those now and I'm like, I was so thin. I mean, I'm using the word thin in not a positive way when my whole life I would have thought that is a huge compliment. And it's so interesting how the perspective shifts, right? I didn't want to look like that anymore. I like how I look now much better. Am I carrying more body fat? Yeah, I am. But to me, that's worth me being able to eat the way I eat at this stage of my life. You know, I, I, I was saying on this, con this consult call I had earlier I'm at the, you know, I'm 60 years old. I do not have, uh, my life is not infinite. You know, I mean, I don't go on forever here. So my timeline is much shorter than yours or other people's, right? And I, I look at that really carefully now. Do I want to spend any time forcing myself to lose five pounds or something ridiculous that I'm not really going to look that different or whatever? No, I've wasted too much time on that before. I'm not going to do that anymore, you know? So yeah, I'm carrying more body fat. Does it bother me sometimes? Yeah, okay, a little bit, but whatever. I really just am happier the way I look now and what how I can eat now just because of what I've done, you know? And I think I think some people also they they when you said like oh I'm going to build some muscle, um they will say like they think of like build muscle as like they think of like this hard like chiseled like I'm building muscle, right? Like if I'm going to gain weight, I'm going to look like the rock, right? Yeah. When it's like, I mean, that's what happens actually when you lose weight. That's what yeah. makes you chiseled and lean and like hard looking is when you lose weight, not when you gain weight. When you gain weight, it makes your muscles appear fuller and softer and more like actually probably the look that those people are going for. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, agree. I, I think um, most people will like going into a cut. doesn't mean you have to, you know, like I said, I was one of those that opted not to because I kind of liked how I looked at the end. But I think, um, yeah, I think everyone needs to understand what's involved with building muscle too. And the mindset with that, especially I think for women who have spent so many years wanting the scale to go down. And now for the first time you actually are trying to make it go up and that plays with your mind. I mean, I wasted my first month bullshitting myself saying, oh, you know what? I'm not hungry for those extra calories today. I'm just not going to eat them. You know, uh, yeah, right. Wink, wink. You know, no, I could have had the shake. You know, I could have found room to have that shake. I opted not to do it because I was full. 
and once uh, and Jordan he called me on it on a podcast. It was so funny. We were talking about this specifically, and we went down this rabbit hole. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I see what I'm doing here. I mean, it was like a revelation on this podcast. Like I see exactly what I'm doing here. I can't do this anymore. I have to do. I have to do what I'm supposed to do if this is going to work. And from that moment on, I, I, I said, okay, whatever happens, it's going to happen. Let's, let's go, you know? And it was so much more effective at that point too. <laughs> of course. Yeah. So it's going further or uh, taking it in that direction. What is the craziest like giant food or meal that you've ever eaten? <laughs> Can you remember it? Or did you black no, out no. afterward? <laughs> I don't, I don't, gosh, I don't. You ever done an eating challenge? No, no. And especially now, like I, I can't hold what I held back in the day. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have a memory of, man, I ate this huge meal and yeah. Or something that was I, crazy I, and you're like, wow, I could give you my an example for me is I remember two examples stick in my mind. One was I went to this place called the Poop Cafe and it was like all of the, the seats were shaped like toilets. I don't know why it was, it was a weird, it was a weird aesthetic and they sold all of these like milkshakes that had like an enormous amount of calories. Like the one that I got was like a milkshake with like a donut on it with like cotton candy and like ice cream oh, yeah. and like Skittles. And it was like, I did the, the calculation in my mind. It was probably like a 2000 calorie milkshake. It was, yeah. and there's a picture of me sitting next to it and it just, it just is crazy. It's obscene. And I ate, I drank, ate slash drank that thing. It was my basically my dinner for the day. <laughs> that, that brings up uh, one place that there used to be in Georgetown here. Um, I don't even remember the name of it, but they had some sort of similar dessert thing. But I didn't, I mean, we shared it. There was four of us there. So we shared it via four. So I guess it's not that big of a deal. But um, yeah, I, I was, I've never been that big pig out person ever. Sorry. You know? Which is <laughs> ironic because... You know, I struggled with weight all my life, but I was never obese. Like I was never, I needed to lose a lot of weight. I was always heavy or chunky or whatever. Husky was the term back when I was a kid. Um, you know, I didn't have hundred pounds to lose ever. I lost 50 pounds when I did Jenny Craig and that started the whole yo-yo thing. That was it. That was the start. You know, you lose it, you eat what they tell you to eat, you lose weight. It works for that moment. <laughs> and then once you leave, um, then you're kind of on your own to figure out the rest because they don't teach you. Well, they didn't, I don't know about now, but they didn't really teach you about calories or they didn't teach you how much you were eating and they didn't teach you about protein. And, and I had no idea. All I knew was I was kind of hungry on that plan. And I remember feeling hungry and I remember the eating trays of food that were like this big, you know I mean? It was nothing. Um, and then when you leave Jenny Craig, it was like, okay, so I didn't gain all 50 back, but I gained some of it back and then I'd lose some and then I'd gain. And then I, I just went back and forth, back and forth for decades. <laughs> I, I think people really underestimate the amount of damage that something like that can actually do to you kind of like long-term because they just see up front, they're like, oh, I was on this weight loss program and I lost a bunch of weight, but I never really learned anything. And I was really reliant on whatever their thing was. It never really taught me how to like measure portion sizes or like make my own diet or any of that stuff. And, and then it kind of like long-term like fucks people up in terms of like what their, their idea of fitness is. Cause their idea of fitness is I have to follow like this strict regimen or else I'm just going to be fat. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's a great point. I, I and I think, um, that's what happens with programs like that. And on the surface, it sounds, oh, great, man. They tell me what to eat. I eat it. I don't have to think. And that's really the problem. You don't have to think, right? So when you end up having to think, you have no idea what to do. And, and then, you, then, like you said, you start thinking, I have to recreate that, which means I have to eat this little bitty tray now, and my calories have to be super low, or I can't lose weight. And that's just not true. You know, they, they set you up without a plan, unfortunately, in the real world. <laughs> I, I like the, the, the statement of like, it's not about how many, cal how few calories you can eat. It's about how many calories you can eat and still yeah. lose weight. If you're trying to lose that's, weight. That's the whole, that's the whole point of being in a deficit. It's about how much can you eat and still maintain a deficit. I mean, when, and when, I've said that before too. And I think when, when I say that people are like, Oh my God, wow. I hadn't thought of it that way, yeah. but that's, exactly what you're trying to do. That's why, you know, Jordan and I use um, the goal weight times 12 as a great starting point for most people, instead of jumping right down to your goal weight times nine or 10 or whatever that most people want to do. Why would you go all the way down there if you could eat up here and still lose weight? 
And, and the, other, the other thing a lot of people don't realize is once you achieve your, your goal weight or whatever, like the calories that you eat once you achieve your goal weight are actually going to be significantly higher to maintain that weight than they were eating down to get there. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I will do, I have actually done this with new clients where I, I do the calculation where I'm like, okay, now you're going to eat like 2000 calories to get down to this weight, right? Once you hit that weight, you're actually going to be eating 2,500 calories to maintain that weight. Like I've had clients be like, oh man, once I get there, how few, I'm going to have to eat like 1400, right? And I'm like, no, no, your, your calories are going to go up once you hit that weight. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, what? Like their mind is yeah. blown. But if you think yeah. about it, it makes so much sense because it's just math, right? It's like, if you're not trying to lose weight, you don't need to be in a deficit anymore. Yeah. I think people just underestimate the number of calories. You know, how many times have we, I'm sure you've heard this too. If you, if you're doing a calorie calculation for somebody and let's say it's 2,100, they're going, really? That sounds like a lot of calories. I'm like, no, it's actually not a lot of calories. And honestly, if you're not losing weight right now, you're probably eating more than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just, what sounds like a lot and what is a lot are two very, very, very different things. I, I had a client specifically who started with me in January who was eating 1,200 calories when we started. And I upped the calories immediately to, I think, 2,050. And this client has lost almost has lost 15 pounds since the beginning of January. Because they can be consistent with that, yes, right? Which, and you, you know as well as a fitness coach, in less than two months, losing 15 pounds is phenomenal progress, mm -hmm. yeah. right? I mean, it's crazy. And it's, um, it, it's just that people think if they're eating 1,200, that magic number that seems to be everywhere, right? When they eat yeah. 1,200, they, they can't be consistent with it. And so they do 1,200 for a couple of days, and then, then they, they go over here a little bit. They get off track a little bit, and then the weekend comes, and it's like all hell breaks loose. That, but they think in their head, you know, I haven't gone over that much. It's not that much over. And then they start 1,200 again on Monday, and all they think about is how miserable they are on 1,200, right? And, and, th and that's why they say, I've been on 1,200 calories and I can't lose weight. When the reality is, no, you haven't been on 1,200 calories. That's why you can't lose weight because you can't keep that going any longer than a couple of days. So that when you up their calories, they're nervous, they're afraid because in their head, logically, it doesn't make sense. But they're only remembering those miserable days. They aren't remembering all the days that they took the extra handfuls or the bites and this and da da da. And then the weekends when they're not tracking and they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's about 150 calories when it was really 500. You know, I mean, things like that. And they don't take, they don't know, right? They, yeah. they don't have enough knowledge to be able to estimate very well. I, I wouldn't, um, so sorry, go ahead. it's just a matter of getting a right number for somebody to be able to sustain for longer than a couple of days. <laughs> just knowing like how in or how fallible the human memory is. Like I would never even trust my own memory for a lot. Of, like if I'm like, yeah, if I didn't track for a whole weekend and I was going to be like, like tell someone that I ate a certain number of calories, I've been tracking my calories for over six years at this point consistently. And I miss like a day here or there, but I mainly don't miss days. And even as me being me, if I were to not track for an entire weekend and then tell someone on Monday I ate roughly this many calories, it would be a yeah. complete bullshit number. So how am I yeah. supposed to expect that like someone who is having trouble with portion sizing and having trouble with this is going to be able to accurately recall these things? It's just not going to happen. I uh, totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Um, we, we think we estimate much better than we actually do, right? I mean, we're terrible at it all of us. And, and I think without the kind of practice that you're talking about, or at least spending some time weighing and measuring and, and tracking um, and being honest. And that's the other like factor, right? You have to be honest um, about what you're doing. You have to count everything. You have to count that latte. You have to count the handfuls of almonds that you've had. You need to do that. Otherwise you're just hurting yourself. You, you are, you are just pulling the wool over your own eyes and it's going to do you no good. And I'm like, if you're not going to track calories, don't track calories, but don't lie to yourself and tell yourself that you yeah. are, right? Yeah, I, I to totally agree. And, 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 and you don't have to try. I mean, there are ways that you could try to approach this without tracking. But I think so many of us agree that tracking is such a valuable education. Yeah. And, in, and if you put in the time doing that, then you will be able to have successful periods of not tracking, which is kind of where everyone wants to be. I mean, you can choose to track if you want. That's cool, right? But you don't have to if you have put in some time, you've learned a lot, then you will be more successful when you don't. That's why I don't track. I haven't tracked in years. As a matter of fact, and I'll put this out there, 
I don't recommend recommend this, but I, when I was in my muscle building phase, I didn't track at all because I know what my maintenance is. And I picked three or four days a week that I ate more than my maintenance. That's how I did it. And it's because I know my maintenance so well, it made it easy. I made on most of those three or four days, I would make a shake that, you know, I, I was approximating, approximating the ingredients to be between four and 500 calories of a shake. I do that four times a week. That's how I did my surplus. And for me, that worked, but I would obviously recommend everyone should track their stuff unless you have a lot of experience, unless you know. Well, here's the thing. If you haven't been able to successfully maintain your weight without tracking calories or successfully lose weight without tracking calories, you don't know your maintenance. No matter how, many, how much right. you're going to tell yourself you do, you do not know your maintenance. You do not know how much you are eating. If you, if you are not able to gain or lose weight or maintain weight without being able to do those things, you, you don't know those things. You just do not. It's proven by the fact that you can't do that, right? Yeah. I, I say that maintenance is probably the most powerful thing you can learn because once you learn maintenance, you can eat less and lose weight. You can eat more and put on weight. I mean, you know so much when you truly – and I should say the word truly, when you truly know maintenance, there's a lot of empowerment there, a lot of empowerment. You can, and it, I think that gets overlooked a lot. It's always about losing, right? And, and, but I think that there's so much benefit to learning to maintain. Because then you can go in either direction. Because <laughs> you're uh, like, absolutely. I just got to add this much or lose, take off this yeah. much. I'll say personally, I track calories because I actually like tracking calories. I think one of the things is, and I, I like getting more knowledge that I can then share with clients about like, well, I know this, I learn more about portion sizing and stuff every time I track. Right. And yeah. it's, it's just like, yeah. I build up more knowledge that I can kind of share and uh, do with clients. Plus I like knowing like, cause I even have sometimes people ask me, well, how many calories is this at this restaurant? How do I know this? And I'm like, well, this is how you know it. Right. I have all these strategies I've made up in my own mind that I can share. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And, and I think that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of learning it all. Okay, so you shared a Jordan Syatt post um, about gym intimidation on November 17th, 2017. <laughs> Have you ever had any experiences with yourself or clients related to gym intimidation? Yeah, I wrote about it in my book, actually, the one early on um, when I was – I hadn't even started working with any trainers back then. My first kind of experience in the free weight section, I'd been a class girl, right, taking all the classes, watching the free weight section – kind of, in, I was curious, intrigued, thought I knew what I was doing, went in there and um, was scared to death, scared to death, started just, I froze, like I didn't know what to do. Um, and I think that's the real reason um, with gym intimidation, to be honest, is that people just don't know what to do. And uh, so going into uh, that area of the gym or whatever with a plan, literally put it on a piece of paper and take it with you. Um, that's one way to get over that. Um, and, and I think women especially, right? Because I think in some gyms, it can, can feel really bro-ish, you know, big burly guys and they look mean and they're not mean. They're actually really nice. But, you know, a lot of women are too scared to ask them for help or whatever. And I see this, I see a couple of women in my gym. Uh, here's a typical pattern. They walk in, they wander around. You can see they're just kind of wandering. They end up at the cable machine, right? And the, and they do lat pull downs um, and they do bicep curls. And they, they do one set of each and then they get up and they walk around. They'll go back and do another set of each, get up, walk around and leave. Or and do cardio. They're, they're, and yeah, and they probably go downstairs to the cardio. Yeah. And they but you can see their face, like they're looking at stuff and I'm sure they're thinking, okay, what can I do over there? They're, they don't know. They can't remember. Um, and then they get nervous and then it's like, oh, forget it. I'll just go down on the elliptical and, and watch the TV show or whatever. Um, and, and so I think it is a real thing. But the irony here is when those people think everyone's looking at them and, and judging them and, and, and making fun of them or whatever their fear is, most people don't give a crap. I mean, you know, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. Um, and, and, and it's, um, it's put on ourselves a little bit, but it also comes from just not being prepared, I think, and just not knowing. And that's why I tell, I, I have people reach out to me every day about coaching and, and a lot of them are like beginners. And I said, the first thing you need to do is find an in-person coach in your area, because that's how you're going to learn confidence. You're going to learn basics with form, safety, all this kind of stuff. And then you can go to the gym on your own with a routine and get used to that. That's where 
the, that is like the best scenario for somebody to start who's new, I think. And then at that point, when you have a baseline going and you know your way around, then you can look in the online space, I think. But starting as a beginner in the online space, I think is super tough. I mean, it can be done for some people, but I've seen a lot of people get really frustrated. You know, they don't know if they're doing them right. They don't want to record themselves. They they can't remember what they were supposed to do. And, and it's just, it's not... It's not great for them. I think people will be more successful with having an in-person experience first and then going from there. So what happens if they can't do that? Well, you know, and, and that happens. Um, you know, then then I, w- I try to send them to some basic stuff. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, I would start with um, – I'll send them a video of how to do a, a body weight squat, you know, and then I can send them a video of how to do a hands-elevated push-up and talk about – let's start with those. Or even back it up further, you want to start start with walking every day. Let's get that to be your routine. Let's start with you walking at least five minutes or more every single day. It's a non-negotiable. I don't care if it's raining, snowing. You do it every single day. Let's get movement into your life as a routine. And then we can add some squats so that by the end of the day, you've done 25 squats. By the end of the day, you've done 25 push-ups. And maybe you elevate your hands on the wall. And maybe two weeks from then, you'll elevate your hands on a countertop. And then maybe you'll, you know, lower the elevation to a couch or something like that. I mean, you can start that way too. Um, it, it is impossible, especially now, right? Because gyms are closed in your area, but my gym's been open since May. You know, so it's it just depends on where you are too. Mm-hmm. And the whole pandemic, you know, and the gym thing is is kind of a hard scenario just on a good day right now. So. Or what you could do to start is um, get my free body weight home program that you get if you sign up for my newsletter. There you go. There you go. Get the plug in. Yeah, absolutely. Anything like that is helpful, um, you know, for people to start. I think people that have never done anything, that's a tough place to be. I mean, I think in person is a great way to start that. But like you said, it's not always possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, Dr. Niebergall. Yeah. Next next question. This is a listen carefully. It's very important. I say this at least once per podcast. It is kind of important. It's important to me. Okay. My mom's 68 years old. She's been really apprehensive about weight training. In 2019, which was the last time I was able to travel to the U.S. before the pandemic, I actually took her to the gym, and we did squats, bench, deadlift, and lat pulldowns, and she actually had a great time. Love it. However, she doesn't really see the value of weight training and says that just walking around and doing general chores around the house is good enough, and she won't get any added benefits from weight training. Despite this, she's been telling me lately about things like throwing out her back while shoveling snow and being less capable of doing things that she used to be able to do more easily. 100%. If she were to listen to this podcast, what would you tell her? She's probably not going to listen to this podcast. (laughs) They're too long for her. (laughs) uh, Strength training is actually what will help you with shoveling snow, which will help you go up and downstairs, which will help you sit down and stand up, which will help you, um, if you are on the floor, get up off the floor. I mean, it's going to increase your bone density so that you are less likely to break a bone if you fall. And a lot of people lose sight of that. It's like, wow, it does. It, it, it will, um, and that's the cool thing. Like our, my generation knows more than my parents' generation and generation behind me knows more than ours. And so everyone's going to benefit, but I wish my parents had done this. Because I wouldn't have seen my mom suffer as much as she did in her last five years of life, being so frail and not being able to move. I mean, her functional quality of life was dramatically down because she she didn't she had no strength. She couldn't do anything. Um, and so strength training, bone density, lean muscle mass, so you can get yourself up off the floor if you fall. So you can play with grandkids. So you can do all those things as you get older. And not to mention, and, and this is the one thing that people don't I, don't, I can't give the words justice, but the confidence that you get from doing this and the application to your life and how it will affect your life is unbelievable. It will like, it'll, it'll change your life. I don't care how old you are. It'll change your life. And um, it's easier for, for me to sit here and say, and it's for somebody that doesn't do it and yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know how to make those words a- any more important, but I think straight strength training is imperative for anybody as you get older. It will improve your quality of life and it will extend your life. 100% sure of that. I plan on doing this for like 
don't know, 40 more years. Forever. 60. No, Forever. There you go. Like Jack yeah. LaLanne. He was towing boats with his teeth when he was 80. There you go. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think uh, I want a deadlift when I'm 100. And I told Jordan, you better have a good program for me then because it's, it, it, I will be that, that that's going to be a mo- monumentous occasion in my life. So <laughs> I, I said this when I turned 40, I want to start going for master's powerlifting records because I'm like, I can't be competitive in the actual open class, but maybe maybe if I'm over 40, <laughs> then and that's where it starts. It's so funny. I hear master's and 40 and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> That's like young. <laughs> I'm starting to think about that now too, because I just turned 30 a couple months ago. <laughs> oh wow! And, and now I'm like, Masters is 40, and I'm like, that's only 10 years away. You got a good long time. You haven't even hit the best decade of your life yet. I don't know. That's I, coming. My best decade was probably 15 to 25, to be honest. Uh, your best decade is yet to happen. I guarantee you that. I'm when, hoping. I, I guarantee you it's going to be in your 50s, especially with what you're doing now. Oh, it, that's what I'll be breaking be. the master's records because master's class two is easier than master's class one. There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, Susan, final question of the podcast. Yeah. Tell me about your book. Well, it is called Fit at Any Age. It's never too late. And it's basically a uh, memoir, a fitness-based memoir, meaning it's a story about me and basically all the mistakes I made in, um, fitness-wise um, and and how they affected me, um, and how I finally turned it all around about six years ago. Um, and the purpose of me writing this was to show people, yeah, you're not alone. Um, the feedback I've gotten from this book has been outrageous. I mean, it's been so wonderful. And it's all of like, oh my God, I did all of this too. I could, this is my story. I could have written this book. This is me. Oh my God, you've inspired me. This is so, I mean, this is why I did it, right? To show people that you're not alone, that you can make mistakes, but it's never too late to change. And, and I told him how I did it. And then how that bled into um, me building a business in my 50s after retirement, for God's sakes. You know, who am I? And that, that's insane, that, the confidence that came from that. And then how, how I, how I um, started hooking up with Jordan, with uh, him being my coach, and then how I came in on board with the Inner Circle, and now how we run that together, and how strength training and just getting my act together that made everything just move forward full steam ahead. And just to show people that it's not too late. You know, you can change. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how many times you fell down. It doesn't matter how many times you stumbled. You get up and you keep going and you can succeed at whatever you want to succeed at. So when does, when does the book come out or is it out? It's out. Oh, it is out. It's out. <laughs> is it on the be- New out. York Times bestsellers list yet? No. <laughs> can you get it on Amazon? Hardly. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Nice. Is it on Amazon.ca? It's on Amazon, all the dots. <laughs> so it's on like Indian Amazon and like uh, Lebanese yeah. Amazon and everything? <laughs> I've gotten, yeah, I know the Aussies have it. UK has it. Um, someone. Uh, Canada's got to have it then. Russia has it. Nice. Um, it, I, it, I don't know. I, I just looked the other day. A lot of the dots have it. So. <laughs> awesome. I, I didn't know that, by the way, because w- w- when you put, I self-published, right? So when, when you put the book on Amazon, you're putting it on .com, our Amazon. I didn't know that there were other, like everyone had their own Amazon. So someone was saying, I kept putting my link to, to my book and someone's saying, I, this link doesn't work for me in the UK. And then they wrote back and I said, I figured it out. I can't use your link. I have to search for it. And yeah, you learn something new every day. I had no idea. That's like, it's like they'll take your, uh, Pop Sugar will take your, your content and put it on their website and Amazon, you have to get the different links for each country. <laughs> We're so yeah, interconnected. You know, I, st- I stopped with all that. I just said, just search the title. It, and it's pop up, it pops up on their Amazon, but they just have to put the title in instead of using a link. So when are you going to be on Good Morning America? No, please stop. No, <laughs> don't hold your breath on that. <laughs> or when are, you, when are you making your appearance on The Doctors? Uh, I've been on – well, my, um, the, I was actually on The Doctors. My, uh, that, when I was talking about the uh, weight loss transformation picture, that was the show. So I actually have that recording of them um, talking about, they were talking about weight loss and actually their segment was really good because um, sometimes those shows get a little, you know, yeah. questionable or whatever. But they were talking about how you can change how you look without the scale moving and how you can change how you look with the scale. I mean, they talked, it was actually a good discussion um, and they were showing some transformation pictures and mine was one of them. Nice. Yeah, that was nice. I have. I, I would be very happy if anything that for, if anything like that would ever happen with me. But hopefully, I got like another hundred years. So I'm you gonna, do. I'm gonna be one thirty. <laughs> you you've got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> sure. Uh, 
Susan, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. You really didn't need to, and I really appreciate it. And oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks for asking. I hope you had a good time. Uh, do you want to tell me where we pe- tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Sure thing. Um, it's Susan Niebergolf Fitness, and it's N I E because if you screw up the letters, you won't find me at all. So it's Susan Niebergolf Fitness, and I'm on Instagram primarily. I've got an extensive YouTube channel. Um, Twitter, Facebook. I have a podcast called the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. Um, I coach the Inner Circle with Jordan. You can find me there. Um, yeah, and always reach out. I, I have a website, Susan Ebergolf Fitness. Reach out if anybody ever has any questions or anything, because I, I respond to everybody. I'll put the uh, your your links and stuff in the notes at the bottom. That'd be great. Just, just email them to me after we're done. Okay. Um, awesome. Any final words? No, but then, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> yeah, hey, bye, everybody. I don't know how I end it usually. I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't really have an ending. I have a, I have a theme song, though, which I... Thanks again for listening to episode 33. Check myself out and Susan. Both of our social media and contact informations are in the show notes. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a good review and come back next time for more because there's always going to be more strength for all. Unless I decide to not make any more episodes, but that's not happening yet, so peace!